Kevin McCarthy no longer on the brink, at least not for the moment, plus Joe Biden's classified documents problem. We'll discuss all this and more on this edition of The Editors. I'm Rich Lowry, and I'm joined, as always, by the right Honorable Charles C.W. Cook and the sage of authenticity was Jim Garrity. Plus, Jack Butler. You are, of course, listening to a National U podcast. Our sponsor of this episode is Tommy John. More about them in due course. If for some reason you're not already following us on a streaming service, you can find us everywhere from Spotify to iTunes. If you like what you hear here, please consider giving us a glowing five-star review on iTunes. If you don't like what you hear here, please forget I said anything. So, Jim, you weren't recording with us on Friday when Kevin McCarthy's support was collapsing among uh, folks on the editor's podcast, but he actually finalized the deal that had been uh, talked about for a long time, and it it opened it up for him. It wasn't just 10 votes or 12 votes, the way some people had speculated. It was 15 votes and really got him there to that, that place that he was hoping to be all along where there would be a handful of dissenters and his uh, election would be seen as nearly inevitable. And it was just a matter of grinding them down and making them give way. And our colleague, Andy McCarthy, who's supposed to be just a legal maven, proved to be a political maven as well last week, where he called it exactly what was going to happen. These people who said they were never going to vote for McCarthy didn't have to vote for McCarthy. They just had to give way and vote present. That finally happened after some some really uh, juicy drama on the 14th ballot around uh, midnight uh, Friday where uh, not all of them voted present. Uh, and there was this confrontation with Matt Gates. They finally did all vote present and he gets over the top with 216 votes. What do you make of it? Well, first off, conclusion is that Andy McCarthy is a full spectrum maven, <laughs> not merely a maven in one or two areas. Um I guess this is, you know, good for Kevin McCarthy. Um, this is, you know, he, he kind of surprised some folks when he really started to look like a, uh, uh, a dead man walking, so to speak. Uh, I, I had written a corner post kind of asking that as we went into the, you know, second, third, fourth, and then fifth, sixth, seventh, uh, you know, votes in which he was rejected. At some point, is this worth it? Uh, you know, do you want, if it looked like there was no way he was going to get to the necessary majority, did he want to stay in the house or was it at some point it's time you've, you've tried to get this, this being speaker of the house was the dream of his. He lost it to Paul Ryan back uh, a couple of years back. It looked like it was going to elude his grasp again. And uh, you know, do you really want to be a house member if you can't have that? Or is it time to find something else to do with your life? And he defied the odds and he kind of said, okay, no, no, he is, you know, demonstrated that he's willing to stick it out when it looks really bad. Um, so in that sense, good for you, Kevin McCarthy. He may find being speaker even more difficult than it was going to be when he had, you know, with such a narrow House majority. And yet, you know, as shortly before we started recording, the House voted to pass legislation to get rid of those 87,000 new IRS agents. Does it have a chance in the Senate? No. Biden has said he's going to veto it. But at least now you have a point of, hey, we are the House Republicans. We are sending a very clear signal of who we are, what we stand for, and what we want to do. This is our negotiating position, and we're going to have future fights over things like the debt ceiling. Here are the things we want, President Biden. Now it's a question of can we work together, which nobody gets everything that they want, but everybody gets some of what they want. So we'll see how things go. Good for Kevin McCarthy. I don't think too many figures came out of this terribly strengthened um, 
But I, you know, for those of us who wanted to see this fight just get resolved and get on to the business of passing legislation and holding oversight hearings and things like that, this is good news. So, Jack, what, one theory is the reason why McCarthy wanted this and no one else does is McCarthy, obviously, I mean, he's wanted it for a very long time, but th- this is kind of the capstone of his career. It is the capstone of his career. And if he flames out in six months or a year, he became Speaker of the House. He can go make a, a ton of money doing something else, whereas other people actually want to have um, – continued political careers. So some names you can think of, they're like, why, why would I want to take this job and flame out in six months when I want to be uh, a congressperson for you know another 10 years and do X, Y, and Z, or just have the position? I, I think in McCarthy's benefit um, t- to um, the positive thing you can say about McCarthy, I'm not sure if many other people would have been left standing after the four days he has. I, I had, I mean, it was humiliating. Everyone was was dunking on him. And then he just managed to get the, the horse trading to unlock it. And that that's the question I'll put to you. So the conventional wisdom kind of shifted uh, on this uh, last week. I think appropriately so. And I, sh- I shifted some myself from, wow, look at these uh, total idiots forcing the house through this this crap show to, hey, actually, uh, these, these changes are, are pretty good. And maybe it's worth fighting for them. Yes, I was in Florida, as I'll explain later in the podcast, which inculcates a, a kind of relaxed detachment from reality. So I, <laughs> I wasn't fully plugged into all of this. So I, I did not fully detect these shifts in the conventional wisdom, although I have since caught up with them. But yes, there's clearly a kind of monomania almost on, on Kevin McCarthy's part. He wants this position, and his sheer desire for it would be probably the most logical explanation for the humiliation and rigor that he endured to achieve it my question is and yes i think i i think i'll 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 bow to at least some of this conventional wisdom that some of these changes that were secured may end up being salutary my question is essentially is whether kevin mccarthy in his almost desperation to to get this post has he created for himself an unsustainable situation where he will not actually last in in the post that long. I mean, you you your your wind up suggested to me that he doesn't really care that much. He just wants to be on the Wikipedia page for speakers of the house and that's all that he that's all that he is asking for. And if that's all he wants, I mean, he, he's got it. Congratulations. Even if he if it if he's deposed tomorrow, he he can be the Liz Truss of house speakers of Remember Liz Truss? It's a trivia item from 2022. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, I don't know. I I think, so you actually asked us about this uh, shortly after the midterms, whether uh, Kevin, Kevin McCarthy would remain uh, that long as speaker. And for, for a bit, I, I last week I was wondering if even that question, which you asked under the assumption that he would be speaker, might have been asked incorrectly. No, he ended up speaker, but I think that there's quite a possibility that he ends up, he's kind of made himself into a figurehead in the position and that he's distributed power in a way that will make it really, really difficult for him to mm-hmm. to, herd, to herd all of these these cats. And there are, there are pros and cons to that, but in the, in the McCarthy court, I wonder if the cons will end up outweighing the pros. Yeah, so Charlie, how do you think about that? I, I, I'm of two minds. The, the, the one vote threshold to vacate the chair, which there's a lot of focus on, 
a lot of the commentary is, oh my, oh my God, you know, how possibly could he have given way on that? What a radical and extreme rule when it was the rule basically throughout the history of the House prior to 2019 and Nancy Pelosi changing it. Now, there might be a higher chance that McCarthy is, is going to have w- just one person stand up and vacate the chair than uh, in, any speaker prior to this. But a, a lot of his difficulties, I, I think, don't have to do with the um, concessions he made. The, the um, more Freedom Caucus members and the Rules Committee might be an exception to that. But otherwise, he's going to be in a precarious si- situation you know, with a tenuous five-vote majority and a fractious ca- caucus, more fractious than the Democrats are, who obviously had the same uh, slender five-vote majority prior to this. So it, it's, it's going to be, uh, it was going to be touch and go regardless of how this was resolved. And I think, you know, that the spending process changes are, are quite salutary and should have been agreed to a long time ago. Yeah, I had a mixed view. If you remember, I think I was the only person on the last episode who said I would still vote for McCarthy. I also was comfortable with the open debate and deliberation and protracted process because I think that's what legislatures are for. Not to bring this back to one of my hobby horses, but one reason I'm so staunchly opposed to executive overreach and the creation of too much executive power and discretion is that when creating law, or in this case, creating rules, it is usually better to have lots of different people in a room raising objections, representing their constituents, sharpening one another, than it is to have one person whose mood may shift from day to day. And I think that was the case here. Now, in a great deal of uh, examples, the people who were deliberating were not doing so in any way that was admirable. There is very little, for example, that Matt Gates did or said that you would hold up as a model. But that's not true of Chip Roy, and it's not really true of what eventually came out of this, which is indeed salutary. So I think in one sense, we ended up with the best of both worlds. We ended up with the person who had been earmarked as speaker from the outset, for good reason. Not because he is especially talented or ideological or moral, but because caucuses have a solid instinct as to who in the middle might be best placed to represent them. And we got all sorts of changes to the rules and a reminder, perhaps, that the House of Representatives may well have a speaker, but it doesn't have a dictator. I think there's a lot for conservatives to be pleased about but i also think there's a lot for members of the house of representatives and followers of congress to be pleased about and it seems abundantly obvious to me now that despite the leadership within the democratic caucus in the house having cried foul pretended this was a crisis pretended it was a national security risk pretended it 
was delaying the House oversight functions that they are about to decry on television every day, that next time the Democrats gain a majority in the House of Representatives, progressives are going to do the same thing and demand all sorts of concessions before they anoint the next Democratic speaker. So, Jim, uh, another notable theme from all this is the return of fiscal conservatism, right? If you didn't know this, you'd think this is kind of prime Tea Party era Republican Party. Ross Douthat wrote about this uh, over the weekend. You you wouldn't think Donald Trump and the new priorities of the party ever happened because the the major focus here has been uh, on spending and um, which, you know, I think it's good, but you can't just do this like episodically and these these spasms every eight years and expect to get anywhere when you're spending the rest of the time kind of digging the hole deeper, which uh, the Republican Party hasn't been digging as uh, assiduously as as the and intensely as the, the Democrats, but it has has kept digging. I mean, this wasn't much of a focus during Trump's presidency, including uh, two years when Republicans had unified control. Wasn't much of a focus is really putting it mildly, Rich. And I'm glad the second half of that question um, evolved the way it did so that I didn't have to be the one kicking around Republicans for effectively forgetting fiscal conservatism throughout almost the entirety of the Trump years. Um, and when asked about it, you know, President Trump would say things like, well, I've canceled the subscriptions to the New York Times, you know, like that's a giant cost cutting maneuver that will make a huge difference in our long term deficits and debt. Um, I, I look as a fiscal conservative, I should be enthused, but I'm really not because I've seen a lot of these same figures turn it on and off like a light switch, depending on what the, you know, what mood the Republican Party's leader is. Donald Trump had no interest in fiscal conservatism. So that wasn't just on the back burner. That was stored in the back of the cupboard for the better part of four years. Uh, and then, of course, you know, once Democrats retook control of government, you know, you saw this sudden refocus on the deficit and the debt. And, you know, I, I just don't, you know, now the talk is that they're going to have to try to keep spending flat uh, and that there's no way to do this around defense cuts. Considering what's going on in the rest of the world, I don't think this is really a great time for defense cuts. Um, I'm sure at some point, if you were on this podcast, you know, I, I, I'm staring at my wall, waiting for Phil Klein to burst through the wall, like Kool-Aid <laughs> Man, because you know Phil Klein would be the first to emphasize that whether it's you know Ukraine aid or uh, defense spending or entitlements or anything else, you know the debt's not getting any smaller, and the deficit, you know, the deficit goes down a little bit, and everybody in Washington does a, a, t- a touchdown dance in celebration. Um, but I've kind of raised the question of how much should Republicans be expected to drag the country kicking and screaming towards a series of decisions that they absolutely refuse to make, that they, they've they chosen denial. And I kind of wonder how much it's you know reasonable to expect Republicans to blow up their careers trying to get the country to eat vegetables when it absolutely refuses to eat vegetables. So, Jack Butler, let's go to Kevin McCarthy predictions one more time. At the end of this Congress, Kevin McCarthy will still be Speaker of the House, yes or no? No. Charlie Cook. Yes. Jim Garrity. Yes, primarily because of the inability to come together or behind a a different candidate. Uh, I guess I'm going to say a really tentative yes. Uh, It's just hard to see, as we talked about on 
uh, the last episode, how they get through the, the debt ceiling thing in, in decent order without McCarthy having been fundamentally wounded. But I think he's helped by this the episode over the last week. I, I think it uh, will create less appetite uh, for going through it again uh, with him. So I'm going to go a real tentative yes with that. Let's hear from our sponsor this episode, Tommy John. Winter mornings are brutal. So here's my tip for tackling the day in comfort. Grab new Tommy John loungewear and take cozy wherever you go. When you start the year in Tommy John, you're that much more comfortable so you can do everything better. Tommy John loungewear, pajamas, and underwear have dozens of comfort innovations like luxuriously soft tri-blend and micromodal fabrics with four-way stretch and no lint balls or fuzz. With over 20 million pairs sold and thousands of five-star reviews, people love Tommy John. That's why Tommy John doesn't just have customers. They have fanatics like this Tommy John fanatic who raves, I bought one pair of loungewear and after wearing them for two days, got all the other colors available. The only place I don't wear them is in the shower. Plus, all this is backed by Tommy John's best pair you'll ever wear or it's free. Guarantee, get 20% off your first order at TommyJohn.com slash editors. 20% off right now at TommyJohn.com slash editors. See the site for details and please check it out. So Charlie, someone was checking out this office in Washington, D.C. that Joe Biden uh, was using in his post-vice presidency and found in a locked closet. Lo and behold, classified documents, apparently 10 classified documents, still more to, to learn about this. This news broke last night. Now, there are obviously differences in how this was handled and the underlying circumstances than the, the whole Mar-a-Lago situation, but it uh, is going to make it obviously more difficult, at least in terms of political optics, if the Justice Department goes after Trump for uh, his documents down in Mar-a-Lago. I was amused as ever by Jennifer Rubin's response to this, which was, but if ours want to go on crusade versus Biden, are they going to concede Trump is guilty? Yeah, okay. Let's do it. Let's concede Trump's guilty now what, Jen? This has been the problem all along. It's the problem since Hillary Clinton put together her homebrew server. But everyone keeps flipping. No, the cases are not identical. But what we need is some consistent approach to classified documents and the politicians who keep them in their homes or their offices or their sprawling private members clubs. And we just don't get it. And I think this is a big problem when you're dealing with sensitive topics such as whether or not we should prosecute politicians. Well, a while back, when the FBI performed its raid at Mar-a-Lago, I said that I was totally open to the idea that Donald Trump had done something wrong, which he seems to have, but that it did matter how voters perceived the incumbent administration's approach toward its political enemies. And Kevin Williamson responded to me and he said, no, what matters is that we treat powerful people 
in the same way as we would treat everyone else. And I in turn responded to him and said, no, what matters is both. They're both really important. Equal protection under the law is imperative. It is the foundation of any free country. Not prosecuting your opponents is also imperative. And as a result, we have to find a way of reconciling the tension between the two when it arises, as it has in these cases. And the way that we do that, or the way that we should do that, is to make sure that we only prosecute X when Y would have been prosecuted. And the problem here is that that hasn't happened. So we get lots of tweets, like Jennifer Rubin's, that say Trump, 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 Trump. And point, in some cases, back to figures such as myself who thought Hillary could have been prosecuted. And say, aha. But the point is, Hillary was not prosecuted. Hillary was let off. The federal government decided to walk away from that case. And it is not unreasonable for people who look at the Trump case and now at the Biden case, which is the weakest of all three, to say, well, where is the standard or even what is the standard? So I think this is incredibly fraught. I don't think it is at all a matter of saying, well, we should just treat everyone the same. I think what it points to in the longer term is a need to clear up these laws. And clearly, senior figures within the federal government are taking material out that they shouldn't. Now, with Biden, it seems that he discovered this and handed it over pretty quickly and proactively. Whereas with Trump, he has adopted a legal pose of mine shiny objects won't go away. But we've now had three of these cases in a row, in three administrations in a row. Hillary Clinton was Secretary of State under Obama. Donald Trump was president. Then Joe Biden is president and took his documents out during Obama's tenure as well. And these laws seem to me just completely unsustainable, uh, too vague, probably impossible to prove mens rea in, except perhaps in the case of Trump. I, to your point about uh, the politics of it, yeah. I mean, it's now going to be very difficult because it's just so confused. If you go after Trump, then people are going to say rightly or wrongly, well, you didn't go after Biden when he did the same thing and you didn't go after Hillary when she did something similar. And to round up what I'm saying, I think that it would be sensible not to go after Trump because I think that it really does matter that our political actors are not seen to be punishing their enemies. And I think that's what it's going to look like, given that there are two other cases here that could plausibly be pursued and won't be. So, Jim, devil's advocate, at least at least somewhat, although basically all this is, is true, right? So, Trump presumably has more documents. He um, uh, handled them recklessly, it, it seems. Um, they weren't in a, a locked closet, or at least he had to be told, you know, get, get a better lock on that closet. There is long running back and forth where, uh, at, at the very least, 
he and his team weren't totally forthcoming about what they what they had. And then you you end up with this raid. So why isn't this, uh, although, yeah, kind of th- the same basic underlying offense, why isn't this uh, much worse what Trump did such that it might justify a prosecution, whereas you'd let the Biden thing go? It's conceivable that in the eyes of a prosecutor, yeah, you know, one does look like an innocent mistake or a series of misfilings or, you know, there's no intent, no criminal intent demonstrated. Whereas in the other one, in the case of Trump, it's a little bit harder to prove of the, oh, this was just uh, innocent mistakes and, you know, inadvertent misfilings and snafus and, ah, you know, we're all in such a rush to get out of the office, the wrong files end up in the wrong boxes, blah, blah, blah. Um, But it's going to be much, it's open question of whether a jury would see it that way. And I think it's also even more significantly a question of how the American public would see it. This is not happening in a vacuum. This is happening in the case of a former president who has claimed that there is a deep state that is out to get him and that is unfairly prosecuting him for any conceivable crime, um, who is actually under investigation from a several different authorities up in New York and down in Georgia and places like that. Um, and I think also that what one factor worth keeping in mind here was Right after the raid, right after the, the, you know, I I make air quotes as I say raid, right after the FBI showed up, right after they got the documents back, there was this question of, okay, the documents are back where they should be, you know, are we now at a point of no harm, no foul? Um, Is this something worth, you know, bringing a literal federal case over? Uh, Is this something worth bringing a literal federal case over of a former president? Is, Is this worth pouring gasoline onto the fire of this? Having this kind of, let's say, snafu with Biden makes that prosecution of Trump much more difficult because the, que- the fair question will be said, okay, they're not exactly the same, but why does Biden get a complete pass? And a, oh, okay, we believe you. This was all just an innocent mistake, but you don't go for that kind of benefit of the doubt to Trump. And why are you trying to put Trump, you know, prosecute him and, and have him face criminal charges because of this? Um, I think this makes prosecution of Trump much more difficult. But I also wonder if, you know, depending on how, how, nonpartisan and what the true motivations are over at the Department of Justice. If you wanted to elevate Trump and if you wanted to mm-hmm. uh, pour gasoline on the fire of Trump supporters being angry and believing that he's being targeted by the deep state, state et cetera, then, then you do do this to go ahead with this. Then you do have that ludicrous double standard and hand wave away and say, look, Hillary was innocent mistakes. Biden was innocent mistakes, but we cannot accept that Trump could have possibly made innocent mistakes. Yeah, Jack, even sort of the the underlying act here, you know, we need to learn more. It seems kind of similar. It's just like throwing random stuff in a box and forgetting about it. Now, there, there was a, obviously more of an element of willfulness with Trump. Some of the stuff he actually wanted to have, you know, the notes from Kim Jong-un and 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 whatnot. But uh, just, just having stuff in a box and, and forgetting about it stored away somewhere is, is least a, a common element of, of both of these incidents. Yeah, I think the solution to the problems that Jim and Charlie have brought up is to send both Biden and Trump to prison. <laughs> and that will that will be the this is the the healing <laughs> salutary um, only the only the Justice Department can save us from a Trump Biden. Don't forget Hillary. <laughs> Don't forget Hillary. Yeah, sure. All let's say Hillary in orange standing. Next to <laughs> no, if I call you a single trial, <laughs> you have to understand that if if I call for the imprisonment of Hillary Clinton, then I will be unable to appear on the next episode of the <laughs> podcast. 
Well, Jack, no, it can be like uh, those Supreme Court cases where they have five or six different cases on the same topic with the same constitutional issue at heart, and so they end up rolling them all into one. We'll just have Clinton, Biden, <laughs> Trump. Lock, lock them up. Lock yeah, them why not? <laughs> no, I mean, that, that I'm being a little snide here, but it is it is kind of ridiculous that these high-up people keep making the same mistake. There, There's obviously something at issue here. I keep thinking of... You know, they think of the 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 Mission Impossible TV series where they had the, this message will self destruct. This is a sort of uh, pastiche of how seriously we're supposed to be taking classified material, and now somehow there's either so much of it that uh, it can be mistaken uh, for just sort of casual office uh, office bric-a-brac, or the the laws are so frequently ignored that nobody cares about them. I mean, that, that as, as Charlie said, that just doesn't make sense. And if we're going to have, if, if, the, if this issue is not treated equally and seriously in one way or the other, then basically everyone's going to be driven insane. So that's why my somewhat sarcastic point about we should send all of them to prison is actually, the, the truth behind my sarcasm is that there is a necessity for some kind of equal treatment of the law. And if there is a disparity evidenced then it will just further undermine whatever whatever semblance of the rule of law remains in our polity which i think is considerable i'm not one of those those doomers about this topic but it is just very silly and another thing that's silly and i know we've talked about this a great deal i mean just think about the the political situation we're in where it is a possible calculation for a biden department of justice to make <laughs> that Oh, we better not indict Trump because it could benefit him politically. <laughs> I just, oh, I just, some of these things you just have no choice but to laugh about. So yeah, I, I continue. Maybe, man, maybe my my stay in Florida has had more effect on me than I thought. If I just persist in this uh, in this relatively detached mode of apprehending reality. So yes, that's my that's my sense of the matter. It's a South Florida thing. Up here in the north of Florida, we're extremely cogent. <laughs> <laughs> okay, I, I I'll take your word for it. So for, for the record, if I were ever president or vice president, there's no way I wouldn't be coming out of there with accidental classified documents because the the move when we'd be leaving, you know, I'd, my wife would say, Rich, we, we need to pack up, make sure everything's ordered. I was like, no, don't worry about it. We'll, we'll, we'll deal with it. You know, there's still time. And then it'd be the last day and we'd desperately be packing and there, there definitely would, would uh, uh, be, you know, classified documents mixed in with my books or or whatever. It, didn't the um so am I remembering this correctly? Did or is this just one of those chain email things? Did the the Clinton people take all the W's off the keyboards when they Yeah, I think they, there might have been a W or two, but it wasn't really uh no no pun intended. So but, would that uh, would that have been I don't think it was like a mass thing. Would that have been a violation of these <laughs> these laws or those W's because taking all the W's off right at the end is what happened to the Tennessee Titans this year. Oh, <laughs> no. You set that up for me. You set that up for me. I think Jim and I actually – so, Jim, now we're jumping ahead. So, the Jets end with six losses. Correct. The Titans actually outlost the, the Jets at the end because we lost seven in a row. Congratulations. I yeah, there should be some sort of bowl. There should be a Jets-Titans uh, uh, game right at the end here. See who's more pathetic. Yeah. <laughs> the loser bowl. Yeah. That, that, in many, for many years, that's what the uh, the Browns Bengals game was in the regular season. Just like, okay, who's the worst team? So, Charlie Cook, X question to you Donald Trump will be indicted 
over the classified documents mess? Yes or no? I think this is really hard to answer. I'm going to just about go with no. Jim Garrity. Put me down as skeptical. All right. We got kind of tentative leaning towards no's. Two of those on the board. Jack Butler. I see a situation in which some DOJ flack, or probably Garland himself actually, will say something like, Trump should be prosecuted, but we're not going to prosecute him. So they're going to get all the, the, the mm-hmm. their licks try, in. Try to do a, do a Comey kind of? Yeah, they're going to get all their licks in and make everybody mad, but but not do anything. Yeah, I kind of lean, I sort of lean no as well. Um, you know, that, and that, that means uh, we, we got kind of unanimity, which is never a good sign right. for our predictions. With that, let me do a quick plug for NR Plus digital subscription at nationalreview.com. Your way around our metered paywall, your way if you sign up and log in to see 90% fewer ads, especially the obnoxious pop-up type ads that might be driving you most crazy will go away as if by magic. Your way, if you want to, to get deeper into our community, to comment on articles and blog posts, to be part of our private Facebook group if you want, and to be invited to exclusive events and calls with our writers, editors, and other conservative figures. So it's a great deal all around and on top of all this is a really important way to support our valuable journalism. We really need people to pay for what they read at nationalreview.com. So if you haven't signed up, please consider doing so today and joining tens of thousands of your fellow National Review readers as a member of NR+. So Jack Butler, last couple days, it has been decided, it is now official according to uh, legacy media uh, sources and reporting and analysis that Joe Biden is pivoting to the center. We have two pieces of supposed evidence for this. One, he uh, attended, I don't know what it was, a bridge opening or uh, a, a, a ceremony to the first dig of a, a big project, a bridge project in Kentucky or something like that, but some sort of bridge project with Mitch McConnell smiling there as well. And he visited the border after about two years of browbeating from Republicans saying that he, that he needed to go. Brief trip to El Paso, I think three hours where he didn't, uh, obviously was, was not anywhere close in close proximity to the, the real chaos. You know, he wasn't there with, uh, with your friend, Bill, uh, from Fox News <laughs> at, at, at Eagle Pass, um, but is this is this a, uh, a, a a jag to the center from Biden in preparation for his 2024 run? Well, okay. First, as a as a Cincinnati native, I have to say, as the Brent Spence Bridge, that was the bridge it was at. Um, but yeah. no, it's a it's a pivot what's, of what's, what's the name of it again? Brent Spence Bridge. I just call it the Brent Bridge. <laughs> <laughs> your friend, your friend, Brent. <laughs> on a first name basis with this bridge. Well, wasn't there a news story a couple years ago about a woman marrying a bridge? I, I swear I'm not making this up. I think I think this happened. And you have um, the temerity to criticize Florida. <laughs> Was this in Ohio? That's that's a real uh, infrastructure. No, 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 no. You're, it you're was. Bri- I, don't know, I don't know where the bridge was. It was not the Brent Spence Bridge that was that was entering matrimony. Uh, I don't remember what bridge it was. But anyway, uh, back to the question you actually asked me. 
No, this is a pivot of vibes. And it will there will be these little bits and pieces thrown at a credulous media to turn the vibes into a consensus or to congeal it into that thing we call the conventional wisdom. But no, I don't Biden's beliefs aren't going to change. His behavior's not going to change. Uh, I mean, this is this is coming, what, a month or two after he basically turned the uh, the existence of dissent against him into a, an, a, an existential crisis for the republic. So for people to actually believe this is happening, they either need to be extremely gullible or have short, extremely short attention spans or both. What may, what we're going to see happen, I think, and it is an open question how much Biden will be able to succeed on this score is he's going to invoke that familiar tactic of using the uh, the Republican control of wh- whatever part of government it happens to control as his foil. And I am not sure how much how su- successful that will be. For one thing, it, Republicans are not going to be able to really pass any bills uh, or not any of the bills that we would like to see them pass. Uh, they're going to in, be investigating things, but some of the things that they'll be investigating, uh, like social media misbehavior and uh, the origin of the coronavirus, these are things that I think people are interested in and that could be politically beneficial for Republicans to make hay of. But uh, Biden will be drawing from the the playbook of the of the administration in, in which he was so fond of classified documents that he kept them and just using these Republicans as maybe that's what the documents were, uh, the strategy for how to, how to produce that, that, uh, that Obama era stray voltage. But no, it's, so, it's that that's what we're going to see over the next few months, I think. So Jim, I think this is what constitutes the, the pivot to the, the center in reality. He's no longer going to be able to pass like $2 trillion bills. So there's, there's not going to be much for him to do except for, you know, hold, hold nice events places. And that you know, this is kind of what worked for them in the, the midterms. There is a, you get kind of uh, defined as a sort of, of moderate, no matter what your substantive positions are, if you are not a, a, a Trumpy kind of wacky Republican, and that that's what he's uh, that's what he's banking on. And I take Jack's point, and I agree with it that you know some of these um, investigations um, that Republicans are going to un- undertake, you know, might might land to get some, get some traction. Obviously, the media will do everything they can to to ignore them or saying there there's uh, overreach, no matter what Republicans do. But the it's it's hard to see. As I was referring to earlier, you know, the debt ceiling on the Republican side not being extremely chaotic, you know, and Biden's going to pivot off of that and call them hostage takers and crazy people. So I, I think that's the, those, those two things constitute the pivot to the center. And they don't really, they don't involve really changing anything, right? I mean, it, it's just it, him, him sitting where he is, but maybe circumstances being a little different. Yes, this is a uh, pivot to the center. And because this is an audio podcast, you can't see me making air quotes as I say that. Um, that is really in name only. Uh, very little ideological change. Maybe a pino. A, uh, there you go. A slight. Sorry, Dominic. <laughs> a slight change uh, in emphasis here and there. But I, I remind all of you that Joe Biden will be running for re-election as an 81-year-old man and turning 82 shortly after Election Day 2024. So I think the main theme of Biden as he prepares for re-election is mostly going to be, why? 
huh? Well, let me tell you, you know, it's like my dad used to say that Corn Pop was a bad dude. You know, it's going to be, we're, we're not, we're going to get the same Joe Biden. And we all know that once he goes off script, anything can be blurted out. Most often comments like the economy is strong as hell. And, you know, the kind of this, this things are going terrific. You've never had it so good. And that's less of an ideological lefty versus righty thing than a, uh, I am God's gift to America, <laughs> narcissism. Uh, and stuff like that. I do wonder if the now that the the likelihood of a serious Democratic primary challenge appears to have fallen by the wayside. Gavin Newsom says he's not going to do it. You hear less buzz about it than you did before the midterms. I do wonder if the Biden team would like to have a low level to mid level primary challenger who's further on the left to symbolically beat. Uh, Bernie Sanders would not meet that criteria. He's come a little too close to winning for Democrats, uh, to, for comfort for the Democrats for the last two cycles. I don't think AOC wants to do it, but some AOC type figure who could represent the progressive wing and Biden could say, we're on the right path and that this person could lose basically a tomato can to get Biden back into fighting shape as he heads into reelection. Uh, I don't know, Jim, they, 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 they never want a primary challenge of any kind. I think any incumbent president. I mean, on paper, yeah, but if you are, look, being perceived as the more centrist of the choices was a big part of Biden's, you know, why Biden won that primary. He won mm-hmm. because he wasn't Bernie yeah. Sanders, and then he won the general election because he wasn't Donald Trump. It is conceivable he'll go into a re-election bid against someone who isn't Donald Trump, and all of a sudden, he's a much less appealing figure. So I kind of wonder if he needs that opposition figure to define himself against and thus having someone who's seen as too far to left would be useful to him. Yeah, I recognize I'd rather not have to spend any money on this sort of thing, but you do kind of wonder if an aging president who hadn't had a serious debate um, and whose only debates, you know, only to participate in two debates last time, uh, did not campaign very actively in 2020, did not campaign very actively with rallies and such in 2022. You kind of wonder what this, you know, Joe Biden re-election campaign in 2024 is going to look like. Charlie. Well, Joe Biden is a fraud. <laughs> He's always been a fraud. He was a fraud in the 80s. He was a fraud in the 90s. He was a fraud while vice president. He ran for president in a fraudulent manner, and he's behaved as president as a fraud. And, of course, this latest so-called move to the center is fraudulent because Joe Biden is a fraud. Joe Biden's presidential campaign was a fraud. Joe Biden's PR machine espouses fraudulent ideas. He has never been, since the first day he entered office, good old Uncle Joe, or a moderate, or a centrist, or a bridge builder. He has been a nasty partisan follower that at some points in his past joe biden has been more conservative on some issues or been closer to the ideological center is an accident that was generated by his desire at every given point to work out where the center of gravity within the democratic party was and allow it to pin him to the floor, which, of course, is what he's done since he became president. And the center of gravity in the Democratic Party is now 
further left than are most Americans. And we have seen the results, and we will continue to see the results. I see this as public relations, as an advertising campaign, as a desire to give people who don't follow politics closely the opportunity to say, well, I like the moderate, or no, didn't you see what he just did? But nobody who considers themselves to be well-versed in the career of Joe Biden should fall for it. Jim Garrity, exit question to you. Looking ahead to 2024, assuming that Joe Biden runs and, and can actually run, you view him as there for the taking, easily beatable or more formidable than you would have thought? There for the taking for the right Republican nominee, uh, whose name is not Donald Trump. Jack Butler. Beatable for the same reasons Jim says. Charlie Cook. I think he's the favorite, but that doesn't mean he's not beatable. The next two years will determine a great deal, both in the Republican Party and for Joe Biden. We should not ignore Joe Biden's age or that... People, when they get up to the numbers that he's put up, tend to age pretty quickly. But I think at the moment, he has maneuvered himself into a position in which he should be regarded as the favorite and the man to beat. So I think if you, you know, going back to Jim's answer, if kind of subtract Trump, yeah, I mean, he's totally beatable. He's there for the taking. I'm still some skepticism whether he's actually going to be able to to do this again. But given that Trump is in the equation and has some chance, uh, significant chance of winning the Republican nomination, I'm going to rate Biden, unfortunately, more formidable than I would have thought. With that, let's hit a few other things before we go. Jim Garrity, you have a really important non-recommendation of a Netflix comedy. Yeah, I mean, there's possible some listeners would enjoy this, but my teenager uh, recommended wanted to watch a Netflix comedy special by the comedian Bo Burnham uh, entitled Inside. And I'd heard of him, but I had didn't wasn't all that familiar with his style of comedy. He does a lot of song, made you know, uh, composes his own songs. He had taken a long break from comedy and chose to come back apparently in January 2020. And then, you know, having already dealt with health issues, this entire comedy special is recorded in one room, I assume in his house, and is basically almost a year-long diary of attempting to create a comedy special all by himself, doing all of the uh, jokes, routines, songs. Um, but it, so then there are some, you know, pretty funny sections of it, uh, making fun of a envisioning a the ultimate brand management type who's hyping and pushing corp companies into politics be warned there's at least one song that is very explicit um but there also is kind of the diary of a man slowly losing his mind in the isolation of quarantine and there's there's definitely this disturbing uh, subtext there's definitely sections where you're like 
is he doing a bit about losing his mind or are we watching someone actually lose his mind? So I can't say, oh, go yeah. out and watch this. This is you, you, you pretty convincingly non-recommended it me, to me, Jim. Yeah. <laughs> you don't um, need to keep going. <laughs> I'll just observe. Like it, it stuck with me. It's definitely not like anything else I'd seen on television. Uh, if you got a real taste for the bizarre and different, maybe you want to check it out. Jack Butler, as you referred to earlier, you visited Florida. Yeah, just a brief comment on on Jim's light item. It's uh, kind of disturbing to me now that people have compared me to Bo Burnham uh, after, after hearing your description. So that's that's encouraging. But yes, I was in Florida for a sort of retreat, and I so sort of a retreat or retreat. Uh, well, I don't know. I I'm going to describe it vaguely so that people don't. I love being cryptic. I just want to. I want to couch everything in all sorts of ways so that people don't actually know what I'm up to, but they can know that I was in Florida, and I have. I think Florida has gotten a lot of good press, maybe a little too much good press. But mm, having spent, having spent, so having spent a lot of that good press, <laughs> having spent a couple of days in the state. Yes, I see its advantages and its uh, attributes of note. I. Do not think, however, that it is the right place for me, and I will not be mm. doing anything. Uh, but so, so is this a visit to look for some place to move? <laughs> no, no, it was what for was this visit? No, you will. The, okay. Neither you nor the world will never know. Uh, <laughs> you'll never know. But yes, I I, I drove through much. Sound as if you got arrested. <laughs> if I got arrested, you would know. Uh, <laughs> That information yeah, becomes it'll, it'll public. Come out. Since the records are public, uh, really yeah. quickly, we, we, would, we would find out. Yeah, so it hasn't. But yeah, Florida. All right. Florida. All right, so you're, you're leaving us puzzled and, and a very very lukewarm uh, sentiments about Florida. That's so what I want to leave you uh, Something Charlie's not lukewarm about besides Florida is his uh, division champion, Jacksonville Jaguars. That's right. I think, like Jim, Rich, I'm going to offer a suggestion here that you will not take me up on. But my light item was the Jacksonville Jaguars' victory over the Tennessee Titans again, this time in Jacksonville for the AFC South. I was there. It was not the Jaguars' finest game. The offense played fine, but not well enough. But it was won by the special teams and the defense and it was won extremely dramatically in the 57th minute just in front of where i was sitting with a fumble so, so do you, so do you have a soccer game. way of uh keeping track of time and in, in uh, football games no but minute. i was watching the clock and we we got to three minutes left yeah but most I, people would say oh with three minutes left rather than at the 57th minute yeah that's true that's the residual true. size so do you do you refer to it as overtime or extra time Overtime. I mean, I could have said there were three <laughs> minutes left in the fourth quarter, but I think when you're looking at the totality, it really was the case that the Jaguars were behind for you know 95% of the game. And with three minutes left on the clock, I started to reconcile myself to their loss. And then they won, and all of a sudden it was chaos with people jumping up and down and more noise than I've ever heard and beer flying everywhere and strangers hugging, and then the game was over. Yeah, that's uh, the one. How was it in the Larry me. House? Was it like that? <laughs> <laughs> I, I was never, I was never convinced they were going to win. 
never. I, I just I could never see them walking off in in victory. So as I posted on the corner yesterday, they they're they're punching above their weight the whole game, and it didn't feel sustainable. But you know they had the lead with less than three minutes left, a little less than three minutes left, and a chance to grind away the clock. Now it's a third and six when this this um, fumble happened. So they, they easily, without the fumble, could have lost because they're going to have to punt the, the ball away and they have the best punter in the, the NFL. But, but still, you know, you put the, the ball in Trevor Lawrence's hand with a, that chance to, to uh, tie or win, you know, in more than two minutes left. So e- even then I wasn't feeling, uh, feeling great, but that was just a crushing, a crushing play, you know, cause you, cause you're, you're, I, and hats off to the refs to, to calling it right with the naked eye. Cause on TV, it's, it's one of these fumbles, his arm is going, you know, and it looks like a, an incomplete pass. Um, but it turns out, you know, the ball was dislodged just before it started moving uh, forward. And of course bounces right the way, right way into a, a Jacksonville defender's hand. And he gets the, the fumble six or, or whatever, whatever you want to call it. But I mean, the Titans just weren't very good. And, um, uh, lost seven games in a row, so I mean, there's really um, there, there's there's nothing to good good to be said about it, except for you know they they punched above their weight, they uh, outgained the Jaguars, they um, uh, had 19 first downs to Jacksonville's 12, so the defense was quite good. It's just the uh, um, the offense and Derrick Henry's just just lost a, a step, so he's he's a uh, quite a good running back, but he's not kind of the wrecking ball um, that he was two years ago. Anyway, good luck on uh, a wild card uh, weekend to Charlie. With that, it's time for our editor's picks. Jim Garrity, what's your pick? Well, uh, we went to our news division. Brittany Bernstein has a headline that I've wanted to see for a very long time. And perhaps one of the things that made me impatient with the protracted selection of the next speaker of the house, house Republicans launched subcommittee to investigate COVID origins. Hey, remember that everybody? Remember, remember that was like, you know, we had our own lives put on hold for an entire year. And according to the official numbers, 6 million people dead. Other Now you add up all of the mysterious pneumonia deaths in those, you know, dictator run autocracies. And it starts getting up to the tens of millions, maybe even a hundred million over the past three years. Hey, anybody want to figure out why this happened? No. Thankfully, some people do go to it. House Republicans. Jack Butler, what's your pick? My pick is Marine Condic. Actually, we do know when human life begins. There was a piece in the New York Times that was trying to conjure up all this uncertainty about the topic that Maureen, who is an expert in this area, just cut right through. And it is uh, it is an extremely helpful and useful guide to what we actually know about when life begins. So you didn't have anything to do with this commission, this piece appearing in... I yeah. may have. <laughs> I'm <laughs> just going to make all of, all of my doings are mysterious from now on. I'm not going to claim credit for anything. Charlie, what's your pick? My pick is from the magazine. It is by Oliver Trolldy. It's a book review. The NR piece is titled Finding Fascism. The book that is reviewed is titled Fascism Comes to America, A Century of Obsession, in politics and culture. And it really serves as a fascinating overview of the use of the term fascism or fascist in American political life over the last 100 years. So my pick is a Dan McLaughlin corner post. I also wrote a a column about this topic titled another setback for the Democrats stolen election conspiracy theory. And he writes about this study 
at these academics at, at NYU undertook for years uh, looking at the effect of Russian bots on Twitter on the 2016 election. And as you might expect, they found it was nil. <laughs> it was totally, I mean, just the idea that you could run a bot farm somewhere in Russia and sway an American presidential election with this massive amount of press coverage and advocacy uh, both ways was always inherently absurd. And these these researchers go to great lengths to to uh, um, prove prove it it uh, was was absurd. So that's it for us. You've been listening to a National U podcast and your rebroadcast retransmission or account of this game without the express written permission of National U magazine is strictly prohibited. This podcast has been produced by the incomparable Sarah Schutte. He makes us sound better than we deserve. Thank you, Charlie. Thank you, Jim. Thank you, Jackie B. Thanks to Tommy John. And thanks especially to all of you for listening. We're the editors. We'll see you next time.